Again, if you have a copy of God's Word, look with us this time to the book of 1 Corinthians. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll begin reading with verse 23. Normally when we do the Lord's Supper, this is the passage I read right before we do the Lord's Supper. Uh, This morning, though, I want to read it first and examine it. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning reading with verse 23. This is the earliest account we have of the Lord's Supper. Paul is writing to this church at Corinth, explaining to them why they do the Lord's Supper, explaining all the details and everything we need to know about the Lord's Supper is found in this passage. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray today that as we focus our attention on the Lord's Supper, that, Father, you will guide us. And, Father, as we've already prayed, let us not go through the motions. But, Father, let this be an event. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter signed a bill that provided land for the Vietnam Memorial Monument. A nationwide panel was created to jury the competition. There was over 1,000 entries, in fact, 1,421 entries. The unanimous winner was Maya Ying Lin, still a student at Yale in her 20s. Lin proposed a memorial, a mirror-like wall of black granite never rising above the ground level. She wanted to have the chronological order of the death engraved in the monument like a roll call of deceased soldiers with every name beckoning you to touch it and in reaching out as you touch the name, you would see your reflection in the polished stone. Well, when Maya Lin's design was unveiled, the backlash caught everyone by surprise. It was called, for example, one article said, a degrading ditch. Another said, it's a black gash of shame. Another said, it's a slap in the face. The government had a problem. The protest was so loud and vicious, they formed an ad hoc committee to come up with a compromise. And their compromise was to have a second memorial, a more traditional one of three soldiers. For more than three years, the battle raged, or which would be the main one. On November 13th, 1982, the Maya Lin Memorial was unveiled. Vietnam groups did not want her to be at the dedication service. In fact, she hid out at the press box. Well, you know the rest of the story. The other was unveiled later, the year after. 
Today, the Vietnam Memorial rests in the grassy field of the mall in Washington, D.C. And it's an amazing outpouring of emotion. I've been there. Many of you have. It's an event. Every major American Vietnam group passed resolutions either apologizing to Maya or commending her for not giving in. Right now, there's an estimate over 300,000 items that have been placed at the wall. Some have said that it is now the USA version of the Wailing Wall. And again, I've been there, and it's emotional. When I was there, I saw a veteran putting his hand on a fallen comrade. I saw another person putting their, a child putting their hand on a name of an uncle they never met. At that memorial, something happens within your soul. Maya Lynn said this about it. She said, I quote, I wanted remembering the past relevant to the present. And that's what memorials do. Memorials remind us of the past so that we can live in the present and looking forward to the future. And Memorial Day is really a time of monuments, if you think about it. Now, I understand a lot of people look at Memorial Day as just another day, another holiday. It's the time we, we go on a picnic, the, the time we eat barbecue, or, or we go to the lake. But that was not the original concept. The original concept was to remember. It started with Abraham Lincoln. November 19th, 1863, as he made his way to that Pennsylvania battlefield, Gettysburg. He did not know if he was going to be the last president of the Union. That ceremony, he was going to dedicate that site, over 40,000 soldiers killed in that three-day battle. And during that time, he provided the seabed of what we now call Memorial Day. Over the next few years, communities set aside a day to remember those fallen soldiers during the Civil War. They, in fact, they call it the Decoration Day because they would decorate the graves. After World War I, that day expanded to look at all Americans who died in battle. Then later, the South, in some communities, it became customary that people remember those friends and relatives who died the previous year. Eventually, the official name was changed to Memorial Day. It usually fell on, July, on, on May 30th, and then they just changed it to the last Monday of May. Is a time to remember, a time to remember our freedom. And so this morning, as we reflect on this Memorial Day, let us reflect on another memorial, one where blood was shed, someone gave his life for us, a memorial of the cross and a memorial of an empty tomb. Today, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we reflect on our Lord Jesus. And so taking this passage, I want us to look at three things. First, the Lord's Supper is a memorial to remember, to remember. Notice what Paul said in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a time for us to remember. Now, I know memory is an amazing thing. I'm I'm fascinated with people who have phenomenal memories. For example, Sean McVay, who used to be the coach of the Los Angeles Rams, He can remember every play he ever called in a football game, literally. In fact, if you tell him the game, whether it's high school, college, or pro, you tell him the game, the quarter, and the time, he can tell you the play he called, the defense that was run, and the result of the play. And it only occurs with football. Or consider Mary Lou Henner, the actress on the old sitcom Taxi. She remembers everything. She has what they call highly superior autobiographical memory, or HSAM. Only 100 people in the world have this. 
She does not forget anything. You can give her a date. She can tell you what she was wearing that day. She can tell you what you said to her. She can repeat what she said to you. It's phenomenal. She does not forget anything. Now, our memories are not that good. And so what God has given to us are systems so that we can remember. And we need to remember. That's what the Lord's Supper is about, that we are to remember. We are to remember Jesus. We are to remember the virgin birth. We are to remember how he came born in that stable. We are to remember his sinless life in Galilee. We are to remember his powerful preaching on the love of God. We are to remember that bloody crucifixion for your sins and mine. We are to remember that glorious resurrection and that ascension. We are to remember he's coming back. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's a memorial to remember. Secondly, it's a memorial to relay a message. Notice what Paul says in verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He uses that word proclaim. That's the word means to preach. By Lynn, she said she wanted people to look at the monument and to relay the message of the monument. That was her goal. She wanted people to see it and they go tell other people about what they experience. But Paul says when we take the Lord's Supper, verse 26, it is a way to, uh, to proclaim, a way to relay the message of what Christ has done. As we are taking the Lord's Supper, this is a way we can tell other people about Jesus. And by the way, this is especially good for children. You know, the Bible has given us many examples of how we can take something and explain it to our children. For example, in the Old Testament, the Passover. The Passover was designed for the parents to tell the children the story of the Israelites being led out of Egypt. The Lord's Supper is a memorial so that we can tell our children what has taken place so we can relate to them and relate to them and explain and to teach. Parents, do not waste this opportunity to tell your children what we're doing here this morning. One pastor said this, nannies, babysitters, relatives, and daycare workers will never give an ultimate account to God for how they raised your children. You will give that account. It is up to us to tell the story. And the Lord's Supper is a wonderful way to relay what took place 2,000 years ago, but still has meaning today. Third, the Lord's Supper is a memorial to remain hopeful. Memorial to remain hopeful. Again in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something about the Vietnam Memorial It's very emotional, but when you go there, it gives you hope because it reminds you there are still people willing to lay down their lives for their friends and their country. Whenever we take the Lord's Supper, it helps us to have hope. For example, we have hope knowing our past sins can be forgiven. Our past sins can be forgiven. The Lord's Supper reminds us that our sins are forgiven. Now, some people cannot live in the present or look to the future because they're still living in the past. They did something in the past. They can't let go of it. It's still haunting them. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder that we can let go of it. The Lord's Supper is a reminder that Jesus canceled our debt. That's what the word used a few few weeks ago, Sunday nights. We saw that word that Jesus used. Canceled. Listen, we don't remember bills that have been canceled. We remember bills we have to pay. We don't remember canceled bills. Well, the Lord's Supper reminds us we have a canceled bill of our sins. Kind of like the Etch-A-Sketch. Remember the Etch-A-Sketch, you would turn it over and flip it and shake it, and then everything would disappear? What Jesus did on the cross is God's Etch-A-Sketch of our sins. 
Secondly, we have hope because our present issues can be handled. Our present issues can be handled. Most of life is unmanageable. Most of us, we think life is out of control. Most of us wonder, can we even make it through the day? And what we need is a power greater than our own. Listen, God never created us to live in this world by our own power. He created us to use his power to have that relationship. That's why Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives within us, that we have the power to face our world, to face every single day. The Lord's Supper is God's way of reminding us not to give up. The Lord's Supper is God's way to remind us there is no problem too big for God. There's no situation that's too hopeless. We can turn it over to Him. And so we have hope. And third, we have hope knowing our future destination is determined. We know our future destination is determined. Again, as as Paul is writing this, he says, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We know, as believers, when we die, we're going to go to heaven. We know our destination is determined. We know we're going to go to heaven. Now, I know a lot of people think they're going to go to heaven. I mean, there are a lot of people who think they have salvation by sincerity. Well, I sincerely believe what I believe is true. That doesn't work. And there are some people, they, they believe salvation by subtraction. Well, I'll just get rid of some, some things out of my life. And if I can get rid of those things, I'll go to heaven. That doesn't work. And some people believe uh, salvation by ritual. Well, I'll just do certain things. Maybe I'll just get dunked in the water. Maybe I, I'll come to church and sit in church or, or, or put a, a check on a, an, in an index card. And that's all I got to do. No, it's more than that. And, and some people believe in salvation by heritage. Well, my grandmother was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. Therefore, I must be a Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. And, and some people believe salvation by comparison. Well, I'm better than other people. I'm better than so-and-so. And by the way, we always pick Hitler. You could, that'd, be, that'd be like saying, well, I can bench press more than your grandma. It doesn't mean anything. None of those things work. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of this incredible truth where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And based on the resurrection, through faith, our destination is determined. And when we die, we'll see Jesus. Or we know that he is going to return, and we may still be alive, and he'll take us with him. You see, the Lord's Supper experience is not simply acknowledging his physical absence, but it's the promise of his physical return. In the early church, there was a word they used many times, Maranatha. Maranatha simply means the Lord is coming. And the early church would say that. They would meet people, they would say, Maranatha. Or as they were leaving, Maranatha. There are occasions where they were actually being put to death and they would be crying out, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Because of the hope that we have. And when he comes again, we'll never again take the Lord's Supper in the way we do today. Because the next time, it'll be with him. This morning, let us remember all the things for this memorial meal. We pray with me. And Father, we pray now you'll prepare our hearts for what we're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says there are two requirements for the Lord's Supper. 
The first requirement is that you need to be a born-again believer. And it's been that time in your life where you accepted Christ by faith in your life. The second requirement that Paul talks about is that there could be no uh, unconfessed sin in your life. That's what he's talking about, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. That is true, but we still sin. And sometimes we sin and we don't bring it to God. Sometimes there's a sin in our life that we, are, that we will not deal with, and we need to deal with it before we take the Lord's Supper. And so what we're going to do, I'm going to ask you very privately, everyone bow your head, quietly and privately, if there's a sin in your life you haven't confessed, Maybe something you did last night, maybe something you did 50 years ago. It makes no difference. If God lays it on your heart during this time, just confess it and repent in order to take the Lord's Supper. We bow your heads. Our Heavenly Father, If there's something in our lives that's keeping us from taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, let us repent. Father, it may be greed. Father, it may be lust. Father, it may be racism. Father, it may be pride. Maybe, Father, there's unforgiveness of someone we won't forgive. Father, it may be anger. Father, it may be just we haven't shared our faith with our neighbors. Father, we don't take our prayer life seriously. But Father, we ask you at this moment, just reveal it to us. Show us, Father, what we need to do. That, Father, we may ask forgiveness and repent to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. On June 6, 1944, the battle that turned the war was called D-Day, or Normandy Invasion. The Prime Minister of England, Winston Churchill, wanted to go. He wanted to observe the English Channel. But no one wanted him to go out of fear something might happen to him. Dwight Eisenhower came to Churchill and told him, Sir, you cannot go. Something may happen to you. He said, No, I am going. I will watch this battle. No one was going to tell Winston Churchill what to do. And Eisenhower had a problem. So he contacted the king, King George VI, and told him the situation. And the king called Winston Churchill to him and said, I hear you're going to go to the battle. And if the prime minister is going to the battle, so must the king. And I will go with you. And Churchill says, sir, you cannot go. Something may happen to you, sir. We must protect the king at all costs. You cannot go. And if you're going to go because I'm going, sir, I will not go in order to protect the king. You see, that's how we think. We think we need to protect the king. But our king, the Lord Jesus, doesn't need protecting. Our Lord Jesus came here to protect us. He came here to down a cross for us. He left his kingdom of heaven to come here. He left his throne to come here. You see, we don't protect our king. He protects us. And that's why he went to the cross. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. How, Father, he left heaven to come here to live this sinless life, to die on a cross for our sins. Father, we do not deserve it. And, Father, we did not earn it. But, Father, by grace, we accept it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is shed for you.
This represents the blood of our Lord Jesus, the blood that he shed for us. Michael Mansur was a member of SEAL Team 3 in the Battle of Ramadi. A few months earlier, he literally dragged some of his teammates out of harm's way and earned the bronze medal in the Silver Star. On September 29, 2006, on a rooftop, while he was protecting his team, a grenade hit him in the chest and fell to the ground on the rooftop. Michael screamed grenade and threw himself on top of it. The grenade exploded, killing him, but saved the men on the rooftop. His family received his Congressional Medal of Honor during a ceremony. And President Bush talked about what one of the teammates said. He said, Mikey looked death in the face and said, you will not take my brothers, I will go in their stead. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus looked at the devil and the demons and death and said, you will not take my brothers and sisters, I will go in their stead. And Jesus shed his blood for us so that we could have salvation. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for our Lord Jesus dying for our sins. Help us, Father, never forget what our Lord did, taking our stead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. In Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper, it stated that they sung a hymn before they left, and we also want to sing a hymn before we leave, but our hymn will be a hymn of invitation, a hymn of opportunity, because it's very possible today you have never given your life to Christ, and today you realize you need to do it by admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I cannot save myself. My sins are too great. By believing that Jesus Christ died for you on a cross 2,000 years ago, that he died, was buried, and the third day arose, and he's coming back. And by confessing, by choosing to follow Jesus in everything, will you do that this morning? If you're watching online, if you would like to make a decision for Christ, if you would text the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call today. But for those who are here, as we begin to sing, just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers, or meet us at the Connection Center as the Lord lays on your heart. Will you stand as we go to the Lord in prayer? Our Father, speak to us now. Father, whatever decision we need to make, let us be very serious with you. Forgive us, Father, for for procrastinating and putting it off. But, Father, you have given to us this opportunity, and, Father, let us take advantage of it. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.